The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 205. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Physician universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the sixth Doctor story, Revelation of the Daleks. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? (laughs) Very well. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Let's just get this over with. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Before we dive into this uh, story, first, I want to remind folks that when you write your uh, review of the show on Apple Podcasts, please don't write it based on the episodes we're reviewing, but write it on the quality (laughs) of our discourse, please. Uh, No, we would greatly appreciate it if you could uh, take a moment and go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and write a review for us. Uh, we, We really do appreciate it. It really does help the show grow. All right. We are talking about Revelation of the Daleks, uh, this 1985 episode, uh, episode or two-part story uh, from the Sixth Doctor, including his companion, Perry. Uh, this is the last story of this season of mm-hmm. Doctor Who. Uh, and this was when, so we could kind of maybe make something interesting out of this discussion and talk about <laughs> the hiatus. There was an 18-month hiatus after this. Well-ish. Where- but Ish, yeah, yeah, there's a there's actually a bit of a debate or confusion about whether it was 18 months or not. But oh, okay, they had had a whole other season planned and mm-hmm. had stories for it and things like that. And then the BBC said nicks on this whole thing, and there was a dispute about is this is the series being canceled or not. And the BBC ended up coming out and saying, it's not canceled, but we're putting it on a break to retool it and make it better. Right. But there was still a lot of thought that it was, this was just a a kind of quiet cancellation, that they weren't really going to bring it back. And John Nathan Turner, the showrunner at the time, was having to go into the office and sit there all day not making episodes. Mm. Uh, You know, there was like no activity going on. And... They did a charity record, which was extremely unfortunate, called Doctor in Distress. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. It had Colin Baker, and this was the, it, like, they had just had, like, Live Aid or something, you know, a very successful charity record. Yeah. And so they thought, well, let's do a Doctor Who one, and let's see if we can hear a little bit of that right now.
So, yeah, that's really unfortunate. <laughs> One thing that has been noticed about Doctor in Distress is it evokes, the lyrics of it evoke the beginning of the show, but nothing recent. And <laughs> as, <laughs> as reasons to save the Doctor. And uh, eventually it did come back, and, and the series knew it was on trial for its life, and so that inspired the Trial of a Time Lord series that we got next, which yep. was a whole season of 14-parter dealing with the Doctor being put on trial by the Time Lords, and that led to Sylvester McCoy, who was much better. Yeah. Yes, yes. So that it's interesting that these stories, or at least some of the stories from that lost season, Ended up getting made as big finish productions, right? Yes, they have a Lost Stories range, and it includes more than just the Lost Season of Colin Baker. It includes stuff from, from other Doctors, too, stories that had been planned and didn't get made for one reason or another. Okay. But yeah, the very next story, in fact, it hooks into the end of this one. Colin Baker, at the end of the episode, as Perry is, as usual, complaining about stuff and wants to be taken somewhere interesting and non fun but not dramatic. And the doctor is on the verge of saying, all right, I'll take you to, and we have a freeze frame that he mimes, because right. it's not, not really a freeze frame. The scripted line was, I'll take you to Blackpool, which is kind of a British resort town, mm -hmm. and, that, and they were going to go to Blackpool for an adventure called The Nightmare Fair, which was going to feature the return of the Celestial Toymaker, who had not been seen since the first Doctor's era in 1966. And so the Nightmare Fair is one of the ones that Big Finish has made. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, but then we have this very obvious, like, what, um, you know, a cliffhanger, where are they going to go? Which yeah. they evidently don't go anywhere when they come back in the next season. Nobody remembered this cliffhanger uh, 18 months later. Well, it's, it's also interesting because this was a whole season where they experimented with the 45-minute episodes like they do now with mm -hmm. New Who, and they reversed that decision. They decided that wasn't going right. to stick around either. That was too long. Yeah, yeah. In fact, this is the last, These the, the second one of these is the last 45-minute episode until the return of New Who in 2005. Well, I, so. I had to laugh too when I looked at uh, BritBox to watch, you know, look at, look at the app and go, oh, it's only two episodes. This could be short. Oh, wait, this is the 45-minute <laughs> season. No, no, no. No, it's You're not. You're going to have to endure. <laughs> uh, so anyway, let's talk about the, the sto this story itself, such as it is. Uh, the Doctor and Perry land on the planet Necros, uh, where they're going to be paying their respects to the deceased Professor Arthur Stengos. An agronomist, which is a food science, like a plant growing food scientist, Farm, right? farming expert. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Which <laughs> apparently, like the 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 food famine farming is a key aspect to the plot, mm -hmm. but yeah. they don't really do much. Like the fact, like this Professor Stengus is doesn't get anything really to do apart from dying later. Uh, spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of an odd, like, we, we, we keep having references to food-related things, but hardly, like, only, only a couple of them end up having any play well, in, the, in the story, and they're really secondary anyway. Well, and that's, that's yeah. the whole thing, you know, like, the Kara, this, this character Kara, she's involved in producing all this food, which ends up being, you know, Soylent Green, basically made out of dead bodies. Yes. Spoiler. Yeah. Yes. But it, it's such a minor plot, and, and, and I was... You know, as reflecting as I was watching, it's like I haven't watched this as a kid, and I think I realized why. First of all, it's a very confusing plot. 
It is. You know, it, it is. It, it's, it's all over the place. And then it's just not a good episode. <laughs> well, so this is, surprisingly, this is considered the most successful of Colin Baker's run by some people. Wow. wow. And it is, it, in particular, Eric Sayward. Uh, Eric Sayward was the script editor for Doctor Who in this era, and he also wrote a few episodes, and he actually considered this to be his best work, which it's it's not. He also mm. wrote Earthshock, and Earthshock is better than this. Yeah. I, I understand why he likes this, because he was a huge fan of Robert Holmes, who was considered, you know, the best Doctor Who writer of, of this era. And Robert Holmes had a lot of dark comedy, and that's what Eric Sayward is trying to do here. Only he's trying to do it even darker than Robert Holmes. So this, what this is trying to be is a horror episode or a horror story right. with, with lots of black comedy in it. That's really what it's going for. I have actually in Space Helmet for a Cow, which is a great history of Doctor Who, it describes it this way. Colin Baker's debut season concluded with Eric Sayward's Revelation of the Daleks, a macabre humor inspired in part by Evelyn Waugh's The Loved Ones that majors on death with a side serving of sex, incest, alcoholism, and at least one proper knob gag, as well as lashings of violence and body horror, including Perry battering a poor mutant to death with a tree branch and a truly grotesque Dalek-human hybrid with its internal organs flowing on the outside of its head, begging for a merciful death, and th all this before Jim will fix it, which was a kid's show. Mm. Right. <laughs> and so it's meant to be a horror-dark comedy, but it, it, it doesn't deliver the way one would want no. from a horror-dark comedy, to put it that way. Right. It is based on Evelyn Waugh's uh, novel, which is a kind of dark comedy novel, The Loved Ones, which is about the mortuary industry mm. in Los Angeles with a British a colony of British expats. <laughs> and also the other influence is Soylent Green, as Father right. Corey indicated. Yeah. Right. Well, it, it's, you know, I don't find it very horrific other than just being a bad episode, and it really wasn't that funny. <laughs> well, you know, the, there are a couple of decent moments like, or decent mm -hmm. bits of this, of, of uh, you know, of writing. I liked Natasha and Gregory were the were the the couple that were breaking into the mm -hmm. mortuary to find her father, Professor Stengos, to find his body. And there were a couple of moments where they had some like some decent repartee. Uh, like he says, "Instant death doesn't bother me. It's the long lingering kind I'm worried about." You forget I'm a doctor. When they slice me open, I'll know the name and function of each organ that plops out. <laughs> and then she yeah. says, "Well, at least you won't die in ignorance." I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of clever, kind of fun. Well, but those moments are few and far between in this. Well, and we, and we did have a McCoy part where I'm a doctor, not a magician. Yes, yes. that was yeah. nice. <laughs> also, I liked the part where Davros is talking to the businesswoman, Kara, because they're, he's he's got this gig going where he's regarded as the great healer because he's cured all kinds of diseases for his own sinister purposes. Mm-hmm. And he has invented the technology that, that has fed the galaxy and that so she's making a lot of money off it, but he's got a cash flow problem. Right. And he's, he's justifying to her why he deserves this money and how he needs more money. And 
normally Davros is depicted as, you know, the, just this megamaniacal scientist who has unlimited resources to experiment with. Mm -hmm. And so I really like the idea of Davros arguing for capitalism and fair <laughs> compensation and Davros <laughs> having a cash flow problem. Yeah. Right. Well, so another part of this, like another throwaway bit that never really goes anywhere is this, this frame narrative of, so it's a mortuary called Tra Tranquil Repose, this giant mortuary on the planet Necros. And there's a funeral that's being prepared for, essentially a state funeral for the wife of the president. Of, of the something. galaxy. Of the uh, galaxy. Of, okay, of the galaxy, who's on his way, never seems to really arrive. Well, they, Perry <laughs> uh, warns him off. Yeah, it's, but it's just a sort of like, I'm not sure what point that, that, that served to the plot. Like, it with. It just was kind of there. It wasn't really. I mean, I suppose it creates a little bit of tension of what will happen to the president. He's arriving. This is time that's running out. I don't know. It just was weird. It, I think it's largely there to give the mortuary workers something to do mm -hmm. when they're not engaged in the main plot. So this right. shows us the audience that this is a mortuary place, except it's also sort of not. Right. And this may have been a concession to the fact this is a kid's show, which is that the people on Necros, and Necros is the Greek word for a corpse, mm -hmm. by the way, a dead person. The people on Necros are not really dead. They're corpsicles. They're in suspended animation awaiting the cure of their diseases, and they have information services that keep them updated on galactic affairs and also a DJ that plays music for oh, them. And Worst part of this episode. <laughs> yeah. And, At least there was some decent and, music, but the DJ himself was yeah. forgettable. Yeah. So that the fact these are that this is just suspended animation rather than true death, it kind of undercuts the this is a mortuary thing to make it a little less disturbing for kids, I guess. Yeah. Theoretically. But then they reveal that all their diseases have been cured. These people are being hideously turned into, some of them are being hideously turned into Daleks, and others have been reduced to a protein liquid to be eaten by people. Right. I'm not sure that yeah. really undercuts the horror here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and the DJ uh, is apparently a comedian of the time. That yeah, was his, sort of Alexi a stunt cast. He looks familiar. I mean, he looks familiar. He is. He, Alexi Sale, he was on The the Young Ones. Okay. So, but it just was so over the top, like so, uh, I don't know. It was just so weird. It was. All the acting was just, was odd. Um, and I mean, there's some, there's some good actors. There's uh, Clive Swift, who was uh, Mr. Copper in Voyage of the Damned. He was uh, oh. Mr. Jobel. That's uh, right. That's Cara, why he looks so familiar. Car was Eleanor Brom, who was the female art fan with John Cleese in City of the oh, yeah. City of Death. Yeah. So and also know. the guy who played the Knight of Oberon uh, or Sea, yeah. he was good. Yeah, he There's was good. Yeah, he was pretty it's good. Just, the yeah, parts were horrible. <laughs> I mean, it really. Yeah. Worked. I think part of why this was so horrible is the music. Because yeah. the it, it's a it's a kind of a you know subconscious effect, but the music is constantly doing these horror stings mm -hmm. and and trying to keep the audience on edge, and I think that undercuts the humor. It's like that. It's like that episode of uh, that we reviewed of Star Trek the animated series, more triples, more troubles, mm -hmm. where it's supposed to be played for comedy. 
but the music is is the standard Star Trek animated series music, which is drama focused. Right. So right. the script is going comedy, 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 and the music is going drama, drama, drama. And I think it's the, kind of the same thing here. The script is trying to do dark comedy, but the music is saying horror. Right. That's right. Well, That's even, right. even when they had like rock and roll, you know, the DJ was playing music, you know, White, White Shade of Pale by Procol Harum and, you know, uh, Blue Suede Shoes, but they were pitch bending it. And that would have that same kind of effect. So you'd listen to it and have like a warble to it as it was, they were pitch bending it. And I'm sure part of that was for copyright issues or who knows what, but <laughs> yeah. it, it had similar kind of effect where it was, it was distorting the music. And, and fr from within the, the, the Doctor Who mythology, so Davros is at this point, as, as far as we know, a head in a jar. He's just a disembodied head mm -hmm. in a jar. He's recreating a new race of Daleks because he's he's sort of uh, uh, it's fomenting a revolution against the Dalek race and the Dalek Emperor. Yep. He's creating these new Daleks. Yeah, he's to been take cast. Over. He's been cast out of the the Dalek Empire, basically, and now you have the Supreme right. Dalek who's taken over. And this is the first time that both Perry and the Sixth Doctor have encountered Daleks because Perry doesn't recognize the Dalek when she sees one. Uh, so the so there's that whole thing and 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 like you said, there's this plot where he, he's creating the Daleks by using the uh, the the heads essentially of the most important, smartest people in the mortuary, mm -hmm. uh, whereas the the lesser people are being thrown to you know to be sold off to be turned into soiling green. So again, it's it's sort of complex. You could. I mean, you had 90 minutes. You could have done this <laughs> in a way oh, yeah. that made sense. There's also a plot about Jobel, who's the head of the mortuary, and a, a woman employee who he can't stand, treats horribly, mm -hmm. and unaccountably has her heart all pitter-patter for him until at some point she find the, you know, the penny drops and she finally turns against him and you know, bad things. And he thinks he's like some ladies' man, which like, it's just he starts creeping on Perry like way oh, over the top. Yeah. And he's creep he's creeping on other women too. This is yeah. more part of the humor. This guy is not attractive. He is not a, he wouldn't be a ladies man in the real world or at yeah. least unless he was super super rich. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so that's part of the humor as well. Also, uh the woman that is in love with him, uh, her name is Tessa Becker and mm -hmm. yep. she, and she is played by Ruby from Upstairs, downstairs. She was the uh, she was the scullery maid. Hmm. Oh yes, familiar. I would, I'm not I'm not a super familiar with the show, but I do I do mm -hmm. recognize her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's also oh, and the doctor is still continuing to be a super jerk to Perry. Like he makes oh. cracks about her weight. He and and just says nasty things to her all the time. And then he gets all upset when she accidentally breaks his pocket watch while he's making her climb over a wall. Like, well, that's uh, so well, she's she's not any better. I mean, yeah, she's right. just constantly whining and complaining. Yes. And jabbing at him back. So she when he takes a jab at her weight, she jabs right back and calls him porky. <laughs> the the watch breaking thing. So we have this long introduction where uh, the Doctor and Perry don't meet up with the main characters for, like, the first episode. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, we we cut between the Tranquil Repose Mortuary 
and the Doctor and Perry. But the Doctor and Perry are just wandering through snow. Yep. Right. It had it happened to snow. They didn't this wasn't planned, but it happened to snow where they were going to be filming. And so it's just Perry and the Doctor wandering through snow for an episode. And eventually they climb o- they have to climb over a wall even though there's there should be a door and they even point out there should be a door, but there's not. So they have to climb over it. The Doctor heaves Perry up while complaining about her weight and just as that's beginning to happen, there's a little bitty sound effect yep. that you will assume is like snow crunching or something. But then as soon as Perry gets up on the wall and the doctor climbs up after her, she's apologizing to him for breaking something. And I'm going, what is broken? And they go on about it. It's like, oh, you can get another one. And he's like, on Necros. And eventually he pulls his pocket watch out of his pocket and it falls apart. And so I had to like go back and try three times to identify that sound effect. It's like, oh, that's when the watch was supposed to break. Yeah. I was actually wondering, did they even have a sound effect to indicate it? But it's it's so understated yeah. and and not at a logical point that it's like, how did how did she even break it? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it it's, right. it sounds like, you know, if you've ever stepped on ice and it cracks a little, that's yeah. what it sounds yeah. like. It's so yeah. little, you know, and of course, it's a pocket watch where it's actually like in two pieces of metal closed together. How did she break it? I know, it's, <laughs> they're, they're stronger than that. Right. Also, another interesting aspect of this is they're, they're both wearing different costumes mm-hmm. than they normally do. Perry has, even though she's got her regular clothes on underneath it, she's got this big blue poncho shapeless thing and beret mm-hmm. and the doctor has this big blue cape yeah. that he's wearing and the explanation for that is blue is the traditional color of mourning on necros and that's interesting because like here in the, there are different colors of mourning in different places here in the here in the west black is the traditional color of mourning but you go to some places in east asia and white yep. is the mm-hmm. traditional color of mourning so it could have a planet with blue and all of the mortuary workers are in light blue, mm-hmm. so that makes yep. sense. Yep. So Eric Sayward was not a fan of Colin Baker. <laughs> he thought he was miscast and should not have been the doctor, and he hated Colin Baker's kaleidoscopic costume. And so, <laughs> and, so in other and words, so, he agreed with half the fans. Yes. <laughs> and the story is that he came up with the blue cloak that the doctor's wearing for a lot of this to hide the horrible <laughs> kaleidoscopic costume. And you can also tell, I think, in the sniping that the doctor and Perry do with each other and with other people, that he, you, if you know the subtext of the author doesn't like this actor, yeah. you pick up on the, on the uh, dislike in the script. Right. So Colin Baker was gaining weight by this point, and I think that's why Perry gets to call him Porky. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Joe Bell, the head of the uh, mortuary at one point, so they have this enormous effigy of the doctor. It's mm-hmm. like a, it looks supposed to be like a monument made out of white marble or something. Right. But it looks like him. And and he consequently concludes, I'm going to die in this regeneration. This is going to be it. Mm-hmm. I thought I had another six regenerations, and I don't. And so he's freaked out by that, which is nice. That's yep. good. You know, yeah. that's actually good. 
And then it falls on him and comes apart, and it turns out it's not fatal after all. And Jobel walks by, and it's like, well, it would take a mountain to crush an ego like yours. Yeah. And that's like, okay, that's Eric Sayward talking about Colin Baker again. <laughs> that's true. He that's thought true. he was too egotistical and bombastic. Well, I, I mean, just real quickly about that 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 statue. I, I love where it's supposedly this big marble thing, but you see where there's a close up where the doctor's hand in front of it, and you can see that it's styrofoam that's in there blowing in the breeze. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you can, you can see it's, it's rocking like... already. <laughs> <laughs> so th- then there's uh, the the plot of so this Kara, who's head head of this factory uh, making Soylent Green uh, in in cahoots with. Davros, she wants to eliminate Davros. She doesn't need him anymore, she thinks. And he's become a liability. He's taken all her profits. And so she she's hired the greatest assassin in the galaxy, Orsini, mm-hmm. which is, I think, funny because it's a, it's a bit of a Princess Bride. Uh, not, it, I don't think it's a reference, but it's kind of connected to it. Because that's Orsini's about the same the, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's about the and, same and time. And uh, the assassin Orsini is in there. Anyway, uh, so, and he's got this sidekick who... We get this quick reference to him. He's just he, he he doesn't believe in bathing or or personal hygiene. Like he's yeah. supposed to be gross. Yeah, we have this really interesting con- contrast between the the knight and his squire. So the knight belongs to something called the Order of Oberon, which is it's based actually it's actually based on the Knights of Malta. That's what I was because wondering. Okay. Er- er- Eric Sayward had a vacation to uh, Malta, and <laughs> and some elements of the story reflect that. Hmm. And I'm I'm sorry, he's actually based on the Knights Hospitaller, so right. he's part of this military order, and that explains why he's very ref- he's he talks about he's into the contemplative life, and he donates all the fees from his assassinations to charity. <laughs> and stuff like that. And so that's why. It's because he's based on a military order of monks. Right. Okay. But he's got this squire who is, like most squires, not from the same social class as he is. Mm. And the squire is like a smelly peasant. Right. <laughs> but has unfailing, infallible instincts about danger. So he's got like a spidey sense. Right. right. And so they respect each other. And I find the... Initial conversation they have with uh, Kara and her her fawning assistant Vogel to be really interesting because you know they uh, Orsini and his and his squire come in Bostock is the squire's mm-hmm. name yep and they're being hired to take out Davros and Kara and Vogel are just amazingly obsequious. Yes, to them. I mean, no matter what they say, they have some gracious response to it. Yeah, and it's like when Orsini goes to apologize for the way Bostock smells, Kara is like, "Oh, the odors of the earth are stimulating," or (laughs) you know, some some something like that. Charms all their own. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just amazingly amazing to watch them suck up like that. But I actually did enjoy that scene just for the just for the social dynamic that's going yeah. on there as they're trying to convince them to take out Davros. Also, Orsini has apparently been excommunicated by his order. <laughs> Temporarily, he says. <laughs> He's also got a mechanical leg, which is cool. Yep. That he lost by not paying attention to Bostock's instincts. He lost the right. original. But he's been temporarily excommunicated, and he he wants an honorable kill 
like he apparently had in the old days um, before he dies. So he he does want to take out Davros because that will be an honorable kill Mm. and maybe get him in good for the afterlife or something. They don't really go into that. But these Knights of Oberon are apparently quite the thing because Mm. the doctor respects them. He at one point uh, attacks Orsini before he knows who he is. And when he realizes that he's a knight of Orsini, he's like, oh, only I would be so stupid as to attack such a person. Yeah, right. And, and Davros is like, when someone refers to Orsini as a common assassin, Davros is like, he is a knight of Oberon. There is nothing common about him. Right. There's an interesting uh, interplay with between Bostock and, and Orsini, where Orsini talks about, you know, oh, there used to be an ancient weapon called a sword. There are still swords in Doctor Who at that time, but yeah. okay. Uh, that you know that was wielded. And this is my sword. And he pulls out a submachine gun, and it's apparently literally the sword. You know the the ceremonial symbolic sword of uh, equivalent uh, of the Knights of Oberon, but it's a little submachine gun. It's, yeah, it's one of those gun. grease gun machine guns, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I like though how Bostock does not know what a sword is. Yeah, and, and Orsini has to explain it's a kind of long knife that was used on a lot of planets. Right. <laughs> right. Right. One thing that's kind of interesting, too, is you know, we talk about the, the, the knights and everything, is that religious imagery and that, but then also throughout the, the catacombs, there was a lot of like iconography. There was one scene yep. where there's a very prominent statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I mean, just all over within D- uh, Davros's area. It was kind of, mm-hmm, kind of yeah. interesting how many... I'm sure it was probably like a set from something else that the BBC used, but still, it was kind of interesting to have that. Well, and also they brought in, they did bring in icons and statues from the BBC prop department, and to keep them from all being Christian, they also like threw in Egyptian statues and things like that. Mm -hmm. So Kara was going, not only going to double cross Davros, she was also going to double cross Orsini by giving him what she claimed to be a communications device, but it was turned out to be a secret bomb, and they fi- he figured it out fairly easily. I, I figured it out as soon as she handed yeah. it to him. I have yeah. in my notes the box is a bomb. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, like, and she gets, you know, she gets her uh, her comeuppance when she's dragged into Davros's lab, and uh, th- he's about to activate the bomb, and then she has to tell him to stop so she doesn't die. But uh, there is a point where. Bostock, who has been mortally wounded, ends up he uh he blows shoots off Davros's Dav- hand. Yeah. Yes. And and you see the fingers lay like the hand is sticking out and you see the fingers laying on the ground. I'm like, yeah. this is this is an interesting kid show that got going here. But the doctor gets a nice line and he goes to uh when it didn't succeed, he says to him, Oh, no arm in trying. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> Like, oh, nice pun, nice one. And later on, actually, as Davros is about to leave, they do this in the background. They don't really bring a lot of attention to it. He goes to shake Davros's hand and goes, yeah, oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Like, no, no hand. That was actually a little, a nice little uh, bit well, in the background. Do, do you notice, too, that Davros was using the Force because he had the Force lightning? Oh, I know. Yes. There's one point where he actually does the hand. It wasn't coming from his little eye thingy. It was coming from his hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have Davros uses Force Lightning in my notes. And this was after Empire Strikes Back, so I'm sure that was the inspiration for that. Yeah, well, actually, after Return of the Jedi, which would be yeah. or, the I'm sorry, the Return of the yeah. Jedi, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sorry, the Star Wars nerd. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and then you have a couple things where the, the humans who of the Mortuary, who are now rebelling against Davros, they've contacted the 
main Daleks, Daleks. The main Daleks, the prime Daleks, I suppose, I don't know what you call them, but the, bl- the black Daleks versus the white Daleks, and the, the black Daleks, who they, they've now allied themselves with, but of course, you, you'll never trust the Dalek, they're always going to betray you, and that's what they, they, they have done. And then, uh, so the Doctor has to, they end up setting the bomb off. They have to uh, fight off the Daleks. Yeah, so so the Daleks, the Black Daleks come in and take Davros away. They're going to put him on trial on Skaro. Right. And they basically leave, and the mortuary workers then want to keep going, but the doctor says, hey, that's not going to work because there's nobody left for you to care for. Mm-hmm. And after this Dalek thing, you're never going to get this place's reputation put back together. So there's going to be this pressing food crisis. Right. Because of the this facility is not going to be doing what it was doing anymore. But fortunately, there's this purple flower on your planet that everyone regards as a weed that the doctor conveniently at the top of episode one told us has properties similar to soybeans, and he doesn't know why it's never been cultivated. So you guys can become farmers and grow this flower to feed the galaxy. Mm. And so then that allows, that takes care of them. And then Orsini stays behind with Bostock's body to detonate the bomb. To kill all the white Daleks that are in yeah, that are correct. that are all and, ready to, to and, go, and, and hopefully he 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 hopes to kill Davros as well. He doesn't succeed in that, but yeah, he does destroy all the white Daleks. But this does set Davros up the, will uh, be back. Yeah, well, this does yeah. set up the Dalek civil war that we see in Remembrance of the Daleks, the seventh Doctor. Yes, so yeah, this kind of sets true. that up that we then gets kind of paid off later. Oh right, right. A little out of order for for me, but yeah, yeah. That's a little timey wimey. Yeah, we're, we're yeah, watching. We're watching in timey wimey order. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anything else you, you guys want to say about this story? Anything I left out? One thing that we haven't touched on much. So we had we had the daughter and her doctor friend breaking in to find Arthur Stengos, the great agronomist that's so important in this famine situation. I guess that the doctor wanted to come pay his respects after he died. Mm. Only he didn't die. Mm-hmm. And the doctor knew he was just in suspended animation, but he wanted to come and pay his respects. So they find him. The daughter does, and her doctor friend. They're trying. Apparently, they are among people who have been petitioning to have the bodies of their relatives reanimated because cures have been found for their diseases now. Right. But for some reason, tranquil repose is not coughing up the bodies. And so they've come here to find the body of her father, and she's brought a doctor to reanimate him. Mm. And so that's what they're trying to do. They eventually find him, and he's awake. He's inside of a glass Dalek, Mm -hmm. so Mm. it's a transparent Dalek casing, which is apparently an idea that goes all the way back to the first doctor's time, but they couldn't realize it on the budget they had then. Mm. But he's in there, and he's turning into a Dalek, and it's the weirdest-looking thing. He's got, like, his brains are growing on the outside of his head, and you can only see part of his face. And he's got, like, an appliance in his mouth that it it's like his teeth are being replaced by just a white ridge, but there's mm. still some of them are still yeah. there. And and so he really does look horrific, and he's explaining to his daughter that his mind has been conditioned to serve a new master, but he can't remember who it is, and then he starts spouting Dalek rhetoric, 
mixed with kill me. Yep. Right. And and what's fascinating about this is he doesn't do a modulation of his delivery when he does the kill me stuff. He's mm-hmm. doing the typical Daleks must be supreme, you must kill me thing. Yeah. And I found that fascinating that he kept the same vocal register yeah. as he was as he was begging to be killed while simultaneously spouting Dalek rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And she initially hesitates. Uh, the doctor volunteers to do it instead, but then eventually, nope. Okay, we've got a parasite right here, a patricide right here on Doctor Who. Yep. Yes. She. Yep. She ends up killing her dad to as a uh, mercy killing. Which yeah. Uh, what's the What's the morality of that? Scheme <laughs> um, over being a Dalek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so the problem is he's he's not there yet. Yeah. If you waited until he was fully Dalek and actively evil, then you could. But well, but it right. wasn't it's it also a little just premature. His, wasn't also supposed to be just his head, anyways? Not just his yeah. whole body. Yeah. Well, his but that doesn't. I mean, he's still alive. Just his head. <laughs> just head. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's what but counts. The, <laughs> it's, it's the part that counts. It's the but, part that um, speaks, talks, and thinks. Yeah. No. Um. One thing I got a kick out of was the DJ when when Perry comes in. Is, is that your real accent? And of course, everybody's going, <laughs> yeah. no, no, it isn't. No. <laughs> I, I think that's more Eric Sayward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Poking fun exactly. at Nicola Bryant. Yeah. And then, yeah, then he had the, yeah. the sonic beam where he killed them with rock and roll. It's just like, oh, <laughs> oh my man. gosh. That was that was really sad. That was painful. It was a little I, Max Headroomish uh, that yes. DJ. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. He had more than one persona. He had when he was playing sixties music, he had a hippie DJ persona. When he was playing fifties music, he had a biker DJ persona. Yep. It was Elvis supposed to be. Yeah, he was Elvis. Yeah, Blue yeah. Shoes. It was. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was so bad. His personas. <laughs> I, I I did like when he was taking. So apparently, you can have you can do requests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the people who are in suspended animation, and they'll hear it. And so, yes, he has a request that he reads from some frozen guy's wife, dedicating a song to him. And you know, he notes that they're still working on a cure for this disease, and and she's using the money that you left her to find the cure for the disease. And here's this song, and he plays it, and then he says, you know, they found a cure to that disease 40 years ago. I wonder what she's really doing with the money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that's a little dark there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Father Corey, any, uh, anything else you want to say about nope. this episode? Nope, nope, that's okay. it. And Jimmy, you're all set? Yes, I'm all set. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think, I think uh, we've said enough about this episode. Uh, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Luca C, Mark T, Theo V, Paul B, and William N. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What do you think of Revelation of the Daleks, this Six Doctor story? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 11th Doctor's story, the next season premiere, The Impossible Astronaut. 
No, then. that's not possible. <laughs> it is a possible astronaut. <laughs> Don't worry, the silence will fall. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, I'm a doctor, not a magician. Right. This is going to be fun.